Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is House Identity, Slytherin. Hi listeners, I'm Rhea. And I'm Jem. And this week we're talking about the best house <laughs> in our very unbiased opinions, because we're both Slytherins. Yes. <laughs> Slytherin house is the best, and that's objective fact, and not at all our <laughs> incredibly biased perspective. In all honesty, though, I'm going to try and be uh, pretty objective, just sort of going through what Slytherin house is all about. I'm not. <laughs> okay. I mean, obviously, <laughs> later on, I have strong opinions, and I won't hesitate to express them, but listeners will note that we don't have a special guest in this episode. We both figured that we know enough about Slytherin to discuss it ourselves. We're both Slytherins. <laughs> we, we probably could have had another Slytherin on, but nah. <laughs> We've got this. <laughs> Too much effort. <laughs> okay. Should we get started with the house traits? Yeah, let's start with the house traits. So I wrote down... Um, the main ones, and then I had some separate ones. So yeah. the main ones are resourcefulness, cunning, ambition, determination, leadership, self-preservation, fraternity, cleverness, and I wrote ambition again. <laughs> Oops. Um, <laughs> ambition twice. Double ambition. You gotta have ambition. <laughs> A man without ambition is dead, as they say. Yeah, those are all the ones that I got from the um, HP wiki, the main ones. But there are some that I felt like like weren't there but should have been yeah there were some that i felt weren't there but should have been but then i wrote like a a little separate list with like other traits that i picked up from just reading more of the texts and it was uh yeah shrewd achievement orientated cautious analytical moral grayness loyalty self-confidence emotionally distant and lovers now these (laughs) these are kind of weird but we can explain more about them (laughs) There's some contradictions in there. Definitely. I had a few as well. I had pride. Yeah. Which I thought was one of the actual, like, the main Slytherin traits, but it's not mentioned anywhere. No. Yeah, so pride, especially when linked to tradition and family. Oh, yes. And then I had uh, emotionally volatile, (laughs) competitive, and petty. Yep. (laughs) And then, like, pragmatic, cynical, distrustful, strategically minded, uh, and introverted. Yeah, I think those are all valid, and you can make strong arguments for them. I have some Mm. issues with some of the ones I listed, like, emotionally distant. Yeah. And I'm going to explain that later, but I just, yeah, I have some issues. The lovers thing, I want to elaborate, like, this often comes up in a lot of the descriptions that Slytherins are people that love singularly and they love hard and deeply. Yeah. So there's often a tradition amongst like a lot of the discourse around Slytherin, that Slytherins tend to be very monogamous. Like they'll love one person, 
very deeply and strongly and they'll sacrifice almost anything to protect that person. I think this is very much yeah. based on the Snape idea. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's really a personality trait more than like a moral disposition. So it's hard to sort of say it's a house trait, but it just comes up a lot. So I wrote it down as a secondary trait. I think it's accurate though. Like, I don't want to be affiliated with Snape in any way. <laughs> because fuck that guy. <laughs> Sorry, any opportunity to bash him. <laughs> but I definitely think that's true. Like, in terms of the Slytherins that I see in uh, in Harry Potter and in other media, and in terms of my own life as well, mm. I'm sort of like, yeah, pick one person and dedicate yourself to them completely. That's the way to do it. That's how love goes. <laughs> Even though that's not the greatest opinion. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I'm a monogamous person, that's just how I am, but, like, I don't think that it's necessarily a personality trait, so I I reckon there could definitely be other people who are hardcore Slytherins and don't particularly think monogamy is all that and don't particularly think that you need to fall for one person hard and love that person forever, (laughs) and I think that that's still very valid. Yeah. But- it's just it's not, it's not really seen in the books because you know mm-hmm. you know sex and relationships isn't a huge part of the books and so things like polygamy and monogamy and uh, polyamory aren't really explored. Yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of um like polyamorous Slytherins and you know like awesome you do you live your best life. Right, you do you. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think it is a uh, not monogamy, but dedicating yourself wholly to like one person or just finding the people that matter to you and dedicating yourself to them completely. I think that is a Slytherin yes. trait. And besides you don't have to like I can definitely you don't have that. to completely embody every single Slytherin trait in order to be a Slytherin. There are some that just like these don't apply to me. These yeah. aren't a part of my personality. Yeah. I guess I want to talk about the emotionally distant trait now because I have some issues with it. Because Okay. I think that it's not really a trait of Slytherin. I think that the way that we think about, like we talked about this in the Ravenclaw episode, we have Ravenclaw stereotypes and then there's the actuality of what these traits mean. That they're, they're not one thing, they're many variables. Yeah. So I think that the stereotype for Slytherin, and this is probably really obvious, but I think that a lot of the traits that we associate with Slytherins comes from not Slytherin traits, but just Death Eater methodology. Because the majority of yeah. the characters and the characterization of Slytherin House is based around Voldemort and the Death Eaters. And I think that emotionally distant is cited Mm, a lot. And blood purity. Yeah, I think emotionally distant is cited a lot because Voldemort hated emotions and human weakness. And so that sort of methodology was emulated in his Death Eaters that weren't meant to show emotions or weaknesses, as Voldemort Mm. would have said. So I think that's why it's become, it's been considered a Slytherin trait. I think Slytherins can be deeply emotionally, emotional people. Absolutely. Like, all people have emotions, (laughs) because that's how people work. But I think Slytherins are more inclined to being introverted Mm. and bottling things up and not necessarily showing their emotions. And we can get into more details and more examples of that. But I think that's where the part of the stereotype of, like, Slytherins are cold and they're distant and they don't feel emotion, like, that's part of where that comes from as well. Yeah. But then there's also like this strong link to they're very sensitive people. So there's this idea that like Slytherins have this hard outer shell and then inside they're very sensitive. They feel very deeply. Like that's the sort of vibe I got from a lot of the description. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting. Interesting times. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk more about the traits or should I move on to the symbolism? 
Um, yeah, let's go into the symbolism. Okay. Um, the traits will continue to come up as we keep talking. I've got more to say about them, but I don't want to focus completely. Yeah. House symbolism, the first obviously is to consider is the serpent or the snake, which is the symbol of the house. Yeah. My favorite animal and the most symbolic animal of all time. You can at me on that. <laughs> it is and the best animal. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that snakes are the best animal. I'm just saying that they have so much mythos and complexity around their symbolism all around the world. And they're so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing to note most of all about snakes is that they represent dual expression of good and evil. Okay. So this idea of duality and being a gray area comes up a lot in terms of how we think about Slytherins. And I think it should be something that we keep in mind throughout the entirety of when we're thinking about Mm -hmm. Slytherins, that they aren't just one thing. So that's why the snake's been chosen. They're associated with some of the oldest rituals known to mankind. They're a fertility symbol. They can be seen as like the umbilical cord connecting us to the world. Mm -hmm. Or they are associated with good crop yields. The goddess had snake guardians of mysteries for her birth and regeneration. That's so cool. They're really cool. They're often associated with like guarding things, like they were nocturnal or natural guardians of treasure and sacred sites Mm -hmm. in a lot of cultures. They represent rebirth, transformation, immortality, healing, sexual desire, poison and medicine, wisdom. And then, of course, there's the Christian symbolism of representing evil, lies, vengefulness, and vindictiveness. You know, Snake was literally the fucking devil in the garden. (laughs) Do you want to know something super embarrassing? What? Last episode, when we were talking about uh, the eagle and how... I was saying, oh, it shouldn't it be a raven? And you're like, no, no, the eagle is the Ravenclaw symbol because of what it means in Christian mythology. And I'm like, oh my god, the snake is like Slytherin's house symbol because of the Garden of Eden story. Yeah. That had not occurred to me <laughs> until that moment. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, I'm deadly serious. Because I'm not... Listeners, I'm not religious at all. I don't follow any kind of religion. And it doesn't occur to me to factor that into my worldview. Until we're talking about religion specifically. Oh my god. So I'm like, oh yeah, I guess she just hates snakes or whatever. I guess that's why JK made it a snake. No. like I'm so dense. Like, snakes are so prominent throughout pretty much every world culture. They pop up either as a symbol for good or evil or both. But definitely in a lot of mm-hmm. like Christian mythology, snakes are very much evil. Like, that's just the way it is. And so, because the uh, Harry Potter yeah. books follow a lot of like Christian philosophy, that's why all snakes are evil all the time, every time, all the time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so some other things I like about snakes is the word for it is escaping me, but that snake that's eating its own tail. Oh yeah, the like one of immortality, basically. Yeah, eternity, immortality. I like that in terms of like. Voldemort trying to make himself immortal and also how it links to the idea of like tradition and history, which is very associated with Slytherin House. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of we've always been here and we're always going to be here and our way of doing things is, you know, the eternal way. I think that's pretty tied into like the Slytherin ideology. Yeah. And also just because I like snakes so much in real life, snakes are good boys and girls. (laughs) Snakes are really cool because they're highly adaptable. They exist in pretty much every environment. You get snakes underwater, in jungles, in the desert. Like, they can be anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I like that snakes 
snakes are often associated with venom. You also get constrictor snakes and other kinds of snakes. But the association with venom is very linked into, like, to me, you know, subtlety and, mm. like, quiet, manipulative sort of weapons, that yes. sort of thing. A woman's weapon. Poisons. <laughs> A woman's weapon. Snakes aren't poisonous, snakes are venomous, but snakes are associated with poison. Yeah. And medicine at the same time. Yeah. Because, like I said, snakes yeah. are associated with, like, earliest rituals of healing and life and fertility. So that goes back to the sort of Duality. old ancient traditional element. Yeah. And going back to the immortality, yeah. immortality that you brought up, as listeners yeah. will know, I have a slight obsession with the Epic of Gilgamesh, the first story ever written. And <laughs> snakes come up in that, where a snake happens to eat a seed that Gilgamesh got from the bottom of the ocean that's meant to give you immortal life. And so Gilgamesh was going to eat it, but then he fell asleep and the snake came along and ate it instead. So the snake was like, <laughs> so I thought that was just sick. <laughs> that snakes have that that's cool link to immortality like so fucking long ago i love snakes they're good and we shouldn't be demonizing them yeah god i want a snake so much me too oh, they're so expensive and hard to care for though <sighs> i just want a little snake and i want to call it udon and i want to like wear it around my like hand all the time yeah i'm at some point i'm going to get a snake it's just a matter of you know when i have the time and the money and the Right sort of environment, but mom keeps saying, if you get a snake, I will never visit you again. I'm like, yeah, more bonuses to getting this snake that I want. Oh, <laughs> she said that to me too. Like, <laughs> she will visit she me. Will. Yeah, she will visit me. She just won't sleep in the house. So, like, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, the color green, this also happens to be my favorite color. Green is cool because it's also a color of duality, just like snakes, just like Slytherin House. It can mean mm-hmm. nature and revitalization, rebirth, freshness, calming, invigoration, all that sort of stuff. But it also is associated with envy and greed and progress. It has associations with eternal life in Japan and both in Islamic teachings. The uh, Prophet Muhammad, praise be unto him, always appears as a green light or wearing green robes. It's associated with vitality, with poison and sickness, with safety and love. Both Aphrodite and Venus are associated with the color green. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fertility. Yeah, girls, get it. All that sort of stuff. Here's something I thought was fascinating too. The human eye is most sensitive to the color green and it's able to discern more shades of green than any other color. So that's why we have night vision cameras that appear to us in green. So it's just the best color. That's so cool. (laughs) Overall, it's the best. Yeah. I love how it's associated with both poison and sickness, but also like healing and vitality in life. It's like, it's just got that dichotomy again. Yeah. So then there's silver. Silver is the balance between the dark and the light. Yeah. It's purity, <laughs> it's strength, clarity, it's focus. It's associated with femininity as well. The moon and Artemis are both associated with silver. And Artemis is the virgin mm-hmm. goddess of the hunt, of course. Intuition, higher spirituality, cleansing. Yep. Uh, industrial, sleek, adaptable, modern, elegance, ornate, graceful. Silver is seen as a mirror to the soul, helping us to see ourselves and others mm-hmm. to see us. It's co- associated with hope, That's so cool. hope, unconditional love, kindness, sensitivity, and eloquence. So how much does that scream mm-hmm. Slytherin to you? Like, <laughs> oh, It so does. Especially when you were saying, like, elegance. Yeah. <laughs> Status, wealth. Yeah. But also, I think you mentioned purity. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I know that silver is associated with purity and protection, like in terms of old mythology, you know, silver bullets kill the werewolves, silver backed mirrors are what show you the vampire. Yes. Isn't there. (laughs) I was going to say show you the vampire's real face, but vampires just don't show up in mirrors. 
and it also has like not healing properties but is used in healing because it's it's such a pure metal yeah it's cool and like i obviously we can't go past the fact that purity in harry potter books is associated with blood purity and that there's a strong link between yeah, Slytherin House and blood purity. We'll get to that. That's the bad side of purity. <laughs> That's the bad side of purity. Lastly, we've got water, which is the element associated with Slytherin House. My favorite element too. Like, oh, water's the best. Wet house. We live in a damp hole. <laughs> we are the wet girls. Oh, that's gross. Never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Could have phrased that a little better. Yeah. So like silver is between two things and green and snakes are between two things, water is again two things at the same time. It is both life, birth, change, and freshness and cleansing and depth, but it's also destructive. So water is floods, it's erosions away at the rock, it's patient, and it will destroy you eventually. <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's great. And of course, that's why the common room is under the lake and you can see all the water creatures and it's all cold down there. Water always makes me think of the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. Yes. Because my go-to for that is like water running down a mountain and mm. eventually the mountain's gone. Yeah. Because it's an immovable object, but the unstoppable force of the water will just wear it away over millions and millions of years. Yeah. Water is so powerful and underrated mm. because it's like a quiet power. It takes its time, but it wins always. Although that's the gentle, slow kind of water, like a river. Water can also be massively, massively destructive, like storms, oh, yeah. floods, even just the ocean. Yeah, tsunamis. <laughs> Someone who lost everything to a flood. I'm very aware of how damaging water can be. Yeah, and both of us have nearly drowned too. Like, water's not yeah. like peaceful all the time. I, like, I always think of that part in disaster movies. It inevitably happens when a huge wall of water is like coming towards a big city or like a small village and it, like the sound that the movie makes of just that big looming thing yeah. and it's just terrifying and it like it gives you so much anxiety to see it because like you see tiny little people compared to this huge wall of water yeah yeah water's crazy and i love it there's yeah there's nothing you can do you can't go can't go over <laughs> it you can't go under it you can't <laughs> hide <laughs> nothing's gonna protect you yeah that wall of water is coming to just annihilate everything in its path and it's so like quiet but also big and it's just scary yeah god i love disaster <laughs> <So> movies <laughs> disaster movies are cheesy and great yeah <laughs> so how can you recognize a slytherin do you have any thoughts on like how you would see a person from like their physical well, not necessarily their physical characteristics but the way they behave and the kind of person that they that they are as a reputation how would you recognize them? You really stumped me with this one last episode. <laughs> Listeners, if anyone goes back, you can hear me floundering. Awesome. <laughs> when you asked me how to recognize a Ravenclaw, I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> because, like, I'm not, I don't really think that you can look at someone and know their personality traits necessarily by, like, how they're dressed or how they're presenting themselves. Of course not. So I was floundering trying to describe what a Ravenclaw looks like. I don't mean, like, physically at all. And for a Slytherin, I just gave up on that. <laughs> I don't mean, like, physically at all. I yeah, just I didn't mean, get like, that last week. Behaviors. Like, the kind of person that they exhume. Yeah. Um, I get that this time. So uh, this time I prepared because I knew you were going to come at me with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some things that I think... Once you get to know someone, you can see the Slytherin side of them coming through. Mm. I'm going to talk a bit more about the house traits and stuff now. So ambition, mm -hmm. like the primary trait of Slytherin house. Twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ambition and ambition again. 
gotta have ambition. <laughs> ambition specifically relating to recognition, I think, is a very Slytherin trait. It doesn't matter what kind of ambition you have. It could be your career, your schooling, some sort of social status, or like a specific skill, maybe like athleticism or art or something. Mm. I think Slytherins are less inclined to be an all-rounder. They're more likely to pick something that they are really good at or really interested in and then ruthlessly pursue that. Definitely. So people who have to specialize in something and work really hard and be really dedicated in order to make anything of themselves with it, I think are Slytherins. Mm. People like lawyers and doctors and artists are more inclined to be Slytherins because of how much you have to commit to what you're doing. But yeah, in terms of that recognition, I think Slytherins are more likely to tie up a huge sense of their self-worth into whatever it is that they're ambitious about, whatever it is they're trying to achieve. Oh, yes. And if they don't get that recognition back, that failure, like it turns into self-loathing. And a negative side of that is not only do you end up hating yourself, you turn that hatred outwards and start trying to destroy others, especially others who you perceive have what you want or are the ones who are stopping you from getting what you want. I can definitely see that. That's really evident in Draco. Draco Malfoy, that is 100% what he does. Yep. He gets to Hogwarts, right? And, you know, he spent his whole life being told, you're special and you're good and you're going to achieve whatever you want. And then suddenly Hermione is better than him in every class and Harry is better than him at flying and Ron, with absolutely no wealth or social status or power, has managed to align himself with... Harry Potter, like the most important 11 year old that exists. Yeah. And Draco, like, cannot stand that failure. So he turns it around on them and starts lashing out at them. That's such a Slytherin trait. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's, it comes from a very vulnerable place. Yeah. And that's why, I, like I said before, Slytherins are very sensitive people deep down. Mm. And so when they express their emotions, it's in a complex way where you need to look past the surface and think, and think, oh, this person like just seems like an asshole. But think about, like, obviously they are. Yeah. But think about, like, why? What are their motivations for being an asshole right now to this person? And it'll probably give you a huge insight on how to be kinder to that Slytherin and get on that Slytherin's good side yeah. and understand that Slytherin better. And just to be clear, understanding someone's motivations doesn't excuse their actions. This is the cool motive still murder. No, no. <laughs> understanding <laughs> that, like... Oh, uh, I feel bad because this person has this thing that I want and so I'm going to destroy them till I have it. Like, that's not- it doesn't excuse trying to destroy someone. Yeah. And obviously, this isn't the case for all Slytherins. This is an extremist sort of case in terms of, like, mm. the way Slytherins act. Like, I don't think I've done that since I was a child. A child. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It's super childish and I don't really try and do it anymore. <laughs> but I am still surprised by how much I need that recognition. Like, because I'm a very ambitious person mm. in terms of like just my personal life and my like career and stuff. In school, I was 100% about like, I have to be the best student and everyone needs to know that I'm the best student. Mm. And I really thought that like after university and stuff, I'd sort of gotten over that because I kind of got over it after high school and stopped really caring about my marks and stuff in university. 
So recently I have a job uh, as like a proofreader and formatting and I'm working on a lot of documents. And recently I've been making a lot of PowerPoints and (laughs) I make them good because I'm good at my job and I know what I'm doing. And there was recently a team meeting where my boss specifically was like, and Rhea, you've done an excellent job on these PowerPoints and pulled up an example and showed it to everyone. And oh, you I was that living for that. I was yes. so fucking happy. I was like, yes, I did. Oh. Even though that's such like a petty little victory. I'm like, yeah, I'm really good at this. I'm better than everyone else. And my boss, like, specifically made mention that I was better than everyone else in front of everyone yes. else. And I was so happy. Yes. So, like, I don't think we ever really grow out of it. No, there's always going to be that little bit there. Like, that happened to me in high school, too. It's when the teacher, like, pulls out your work and reads it as a good example in front of the class. So, like, we were given the task of writing just a narrative about, like, a childhood experience. And it was marked out of 10. And I got 252 out of 10. And... I remember that. And my teacher read it out in front of the class and I was trying to act like, oh, you don't read it. Like, that's embarrassing. But I was living for it at the same time. Like, I won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you owned it. That. Oh, that's such a Slytherin thing. And like, I know it's not a great personality trait. It's not like, I'm not super proud of this. No, it's, it's kind of petty and shameful. <laughs> yeah. But hey... I mean, it just shows that we're talented people. (laughs) And I worked hard on those PowerPoints. (laughs) I worked hard on that story. And I don't think that we should be punished for being liked. (laughs) 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 So some things I had for recognizing Slytherins, just had them in dot points, was Slytherins will probably have a few very close ride-or-die friends, like... They're, they're not like, yes, obviously Slytherins might be popular. Like they might have a certain social status, but they have like an inner circle. And those are the like three or four people that they trust with anything. Slytherins always have a plan B, C, D, E, etc. Like they're usually thinking six steps ahead. Yep. Slytherins find ways to get what they want, even when it seems unexpected. They're not the loudest, but they're not silent either. They're very protective of family. And they can come, and this can come off as being private people. So their protectiveness can come across as like they don't have to really talk about their family or their personal life. They're kind of mysterious in that way. Yeah, they're intimidating. A lot of people can be very intimidated by Slytherins for whatever reason, because maybe Slytherins come off as very uh, capable or talented, or maybe they just have like a bit of an off-putting vibe in terms of like a social vibe. Either way, people are usually pretty intimidated by them. They're witty. They like to be the best at what they do, and they are ready to argue, <laughs> like, at any opportunity. Yes. <laughs> Not necessarily, like, in an angry way, just they are ready to mm-hmm. put forward a position and defend it. <laughs> yeah. I had unwilling to compromise as one of my Slytherin traits, and it's sort of straying into Gryffindorish territory, but I think more balance with practicality. We'll see. Mm, yeah. I've said that, like, I tend to be uncompromising in the things that I believe in. Oh, absolutely which... you are. It's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. On, like, a petty level, that means that I'm super stubborn and I argue and I, <laughs> I never want to give up on something. I always want to, like, let's see this argument through until you admit that I'm right. But that also means that on a not petty level, mm. when it comes to like big social issues and problems and things, I'm, I'm willing to do what I think is right. 
even when it's not popular. easy. <laughs> yeah, popular. It's like I I constantly, constantly am arguing with my parents because they say or do problematic or upsetting things and I'm always calling them out on it and they hate it and it leads to so many arguments but like I can't just let it slide mm. because I need to be constantly critical of my own behavior to make sure that I'm not doing things that are bad and everybody else should hold themselves to the same standards yes I agree but I don't I don't do that kind of thing at work because Mm. while I get upset about the things that my coworkers say, and if they go too far, I will call them out on it. I can't be that bitch who's constantly arguing with everyone and criticizing their behavior because I'll get fired. Yeah. Like, my parents can't fire me from the family, <laughs> but I can get fired from my job. Social adaptability. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, a Gryffindor wouldn't know when to stop. That's the difference. Like, a Gryffindor would do it in yeah. the workplace and put their career at risk. But Slytherins know that, like, yeah. this isn't going to be beneficial to me in the long run. I can make a point, but I can't push it too far. Even though it frustrates me that I can't, you know, continue to pursue this no matter what, I have to balance it with practicality because otherwise I'll never get anywhere in the long run. But that being said, the things that Slytherins deem not too important in the long run, they can be cut out easily. Like, Slytherins are willing to cut people institutions or things out of their life yes if they deem them uh -huh. not okay not worthy not right for whatever reason no regrets instant snip snip like <laughs> yeah letting go is easy i've done that before and i will do that again yes it's i i cut ties with people once i have no more use for them which sounds super cold mm. or once i just don't want to know them anymore for whatever reason yeah <laughs> and i only realized that this wasn't normal behavior like Pretty recently, in the past few years, have I realized that most people can't just cut people out of their lives like I can. Mm. I was in like some sort of media class at university and the professor was talking about how it's so like it's really shaping out the way that we interact now that we have the ability to unfriend somebody on Facebook. So you can just cut somebody out of their social circle. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but you can do that in real life too. <laughs> and everyone was staring at me like, no. <laughs> I think it's just another form of like, it comes into the self-preservation thing and it's been defined now in like yeah. more modern times as self-care where it's like, if someone is mm -hmm. damaging to your life or problematic to you or not doing anything for you, you don't need that person. And that sort of become like, exactly. like people are embracing that now. And I think there's definitely a lot of like good that comes out of that. Obviously I recognize that there are certain situations where cutting someone out of your life isn't an option and that coming to a reconciliation can be very healing and very positive and I fully support that yeah and I try to find a balance in my life for like is it worth trying to pursue re reconciliation here or is it worth just cutting them out and I often yeah I duality I just try and like evaluate every option as it comes yeah hmm. I'm not talking about like more serious situations where you have to cut somebody out of your life for your own personal safety or because yeah. of the things they've done to you in the past. Obviously that's like a more serious situation, which I wouldn't be as flippant about. I more mean mm. like when I quit my last job that I hated, everyone was like, stay in touch. You know, we're going to miss you. And in my head, I'm like, I'm never going to think about any of these people again. Once I walk out of this office, <laughs> Like I don't yeah. care about any of you. Yeah. I used to work, I used to volunteer for an organization and volunteered for like a solid year and a half. Like I was consistently coming to this organization to volunteer my time. Mm -hmm. It was like a charitable organization, but I found out that the leader was constantly sort of spouting these racist Islamophobic 
ideas. And so I instantly was like, mm. bye. <laughs> like, I'm not going to volunteer my time for something that is immoral. <laughs> like, uh-uh. I think this is one of my other things that I said you can recognize a Slytherin with is coldness. Mm. I think this ties into that. Like, the idea that you can just so easily cut somebody out of your life for not important reasons, that's tied into emotional coldness. It relates to what you said about Slytherins care about people deeply. Yeah. Like, I'm the sort of person, I don't have a lot of friends. I can count my friends and have fingers left over. <laughs> but every single one of those people I am dedicated to. Like, I love them completely. I would do anything for them. Mm -hmm. And I know that about myself. I don't care about a lot of things because I care about certain things so deeply. I kind of have to be strategic about who I choose to let in because, like... Otherwise, it's just exhausting. I can't imagine having, like, 50 people who want to spend time with me and want to talk to me about things and want to be my friend. Like, God, that's exhausting. That would be a nightmare. Yes, honestly. I can't care that deeply about so many people. I'd, I'd run out of, I don't know, emotion juice. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, got to be strategic about who I let in because once I let them in, they're in there for life and I've got to yeah. do anything for them. It's too much. Lock it in, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, the bad side of that is those people that I haven't locked in forever, I'm just totally uncaring about. Like, yeah. I just feel nothing about them at all. I need I need to – this might not be a Slytherin trait. This might be a – Rhea is a bit of a weirdo trait – but I need to constantly remind myself that other people are real, <laughs> that their emotions are real, that their experiences are real, and that I I shouldn't only consider them in relation to how they, like, are a part of my world. Yeah. Selfishness <laughs> is a problem for Slytherins. Like, I've definitely... Yeah. This is something I struggled with a lot in the past. I had a lot of issues with being empathetic, and so that's why I've purposely... Yes tried to pursue interests and careers which would make me more empathetic towards the lives and feelings of others. And it's been working. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's why I'm consciously every day trying to improve that part of myself. Yeah. Because I know that like, it's not acceptable. I need to be more open and empathetic because mm -hmm. it's not a weakness, it's a strength. Yeah, absolutely. I'm extremely low empathy. Low empathy to the point at which like, it's probably a problem. I should do something about this. Yeah. I mean, you're being hard on yourself, Rhea. You are a hard exterior with a soft, like, squishy middle. So yeah. <laughs> you are very soft and pure underneath your hard exterior, and you are very caring and loving. So don't be too hard praise. on yourself. I love it when people <laughs> praise me. It's so good. <laughs> it comes off that I'm the, the soft, nice one, but really it's the other way around. I'm just like that on the outside. And then... <laughs> Rhea's like that on the inside. <laughs> I see I see the two of us like as you know Parks and Rec? Yes. Leslie and April from Parks and That's Rec. it. That's it. <laughs> Leslie and I'm April. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's get into more like maybe how a Slytherin's represented in the books and movies, because I think we have a lot to say about this. And we should bring up the blood purity thing. Yeah, I've I've got some like a list of notable Slytherins. Should I go through? Yeah, go for it. So last time when we were talking about Ravenclaws, I said there were basically two categories of Ravenclaws. Yeah, love interest and weirdos. 
Yes. I kind of did the same thing with the Slytherins. I lumped them all into either good or bad Slytherins because... That's it. <laughs> that's 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 where we're at. That's where we're at with the books. <laughs> Just to be clear, not that I think anyone is wholly good or bad, like that grey morality, everyone's got both light and dark within them. But for the purpose of the books, bad Slytherins, Bloody Baron, mm. Voldemort, mm. Bellatrix Lestrange, yep. Lucius Malfoy, yep. Severus Snape, Dolores Umbridge, and then the kids, Draco Malfoy, Vincent Crabbe, Gregory Goyle, Pansy Parkinson... And I added onto the end Marula Snide and Ismelda Merck from the Hogwarts Mystery <laughs> Game, just because I, I love them. I love yeah. them so much. And then good Slytherins, and some of them I'm going to elaborate on. Merlin. Mm-hmm. Merlin was a member of King Arthur's court, an advocate of muggle rights, mm-hmm. and arguably the most famous wizard in history. Like when wizards do great deeds, they get given an order of Merlin. That's how good he was. What, like it's hard? <laughs> <laughs> Horace Slughorn, yeah. who was good. He was okay. Or at least not evil. Which, <laughs> that puts him in good. I argued whether I should put him in good or bad, but like he's just sort of neutral. Yeah. He does leave the Battle of Hogwarts, but then he comes back to the Battle of Hogwarts, so I'm putting him in good. Mm. Uh, Regulus Black, who tried his best, even though he fucked everything up. Uh, Andromeda Black, married a muggle-born and raised Tonks, the yep. greatest person ever. Yeah. Narcissa Malfoy who also did lots of terrible things, but then did one really good thing. (laughs) Cool motive, still murder. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Barnaby Lee and Liz Tuttle, also from the Hogwarts Mystery Games, who I also love. Love I love all the Slytherins in that game so much. Yeah, including me. (laughs) Uh, Albus Severus Potter and Scorpius Malfoy from The Cursed Child, which isn't canon and doesn't exist, so (laughs) forget about those two. And my favourite Slytherin character ever, who I just found on the uh, HB wiki, unidentified Slytherin boy in the Battle of Hogwarts. What? Like fighting for Hogwarts? Yes. He was locked in the dungeons, but when the cell exploded, fought in the Battle of Hogwarts. Yes. I love this boy. Yes. We got one. A background character in the movie. (laughs) Finally, uh, one boy who fought in the Battle of Hogwarts for Slytherin. Uh, uh, we got to talk about the Battle of Hogwarts and Slytherins because I've got some emotions. But first, uh, did you have more things to say? I just want to say, because uh, we have to bring up the blood purity issue. We can't tiptoe around it. It's the elephant in the room. So, uh, yeah, it's there's always this association that like pure bloods are Slytherins or Slytherins are pure bloods, basically. And that the Sorting yeah. Hat, there's been speculation that the Sorting Hat does take this into consideration when sorting Slytherins. Now, we know that this mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the case because Half-Bloods and Muggleborns, although rare, do end up in Slytherin, but it's just certainly, like, a factor. But then it also comes up that, like, you know, Purebloods and Half-Bloods are also sorted into other houses as well. Like, it's it sort of doesn't make sense, but it's still that association is there. And, like, I honestly think that this is just a product of the methodology and philosophy around Slytherin House has been so strongly shaped by what happened when Voldemort rose to power and the influence of the Death Eaters. And because he used all that symbolism Mm -hmm. and the idea of being a Slytherin as being a Death Eater to reinforce these philosophies throughout the generations that we see in the books, a lot of the traits and ideas that we associate with Slytherins are really just Death Eater methodologies (laughs) that have been reinforced throughout throughout time. And that Slytherin House mightn't necessarily have been like this 100 years ago or 100 years later. 
it's just a period of time based on mm-hmm. historical events that are happening. Um, obviously, Salazar Slytherin had a bit of a pure blood bias as well, yeah. and that comes up in the history. And there's been speculation about like, is that because you know wizards were persecuted? Was it a good reason that he had this bias? I mean, he still tried to exclude Muggleborns from coming to school, so I I can't really justify that. <laughs> like, well, I just. I, I don't want to, first of all, I don't want to excuse Salazar Slytherin's attitudes and behavior. No. But I think it's so, it's important to look at the context behind them. And I don't want to be like, mm. in the past, people were racist and that's fine because that's how it was in those <laughs> days. But I think no. during the time when Hogwarts was founded and the founders were living, relations between wizards and muggles were very different. I think you were far more likely to be in danger from muggles as a magical person. And I always thought of the Chamber of Secrets less as like like a cool room where Salazar had all his mm. cool stuff or whatever, and more of like a panic room yeah, that okay. the students could retreat to. Like if if a army of muggles was marching upon Hogwarts Castle, because that's what castles were made for, to defend against armies, mm-hmm. then you could take all of the young children, the students, hide them in the Chamber of Secrets where they're safe, protected by a giant basilisk, and no harm could come to them, while the founders went out and dealt with all the muggles. That was yeah. always my perspective on what Salazar was doing there. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't want muggleborns at the school was like, you know, because... They're they're too closely affiliated with muggles. What if they tell them where we are? What if they, you know, bring muggles into the school and put us all of, in danger? Like, it was more of a defensive strategy, and I'm not trying to defend it. I'm not trying to say, like, that's fine and good and perfectly excusable. I just think you can't really liken Voldemort's use of the Chamber of Secrets to hunt and kill the muggle-born students who are attending the school, mm. and Salazar being like, I don't know if these people are safe, and I don't know if we should let them in, because yeah. they might put all of us in danger. Yeah, I think so too. Does that seem reasonable? That's, that seems reasonable, yeah. I just think that it's unfortunate that this particular house has had such a strong association with these ideas of blood purity, and... Being a blood purist isn't a personality trait. It's something that's taught and it's something that's like culturally accepted depending on different times and different like eras. Culture doesn't make people, people make culture. Yeah, exactly. We can't ignore the fact that when the Harry Potter books are set, basically all of the Slytherin students while Harry is at school had parents who were Death Eaters or were associated with Death Eaters or who Mm -hmm. knew the Death Eaters. So, like that. That hate group that grew up during Voldemort's time has now created another generation, and they're being so heavily influenced by it. I'm, I would really like to see more of what Slytherin House is like post Harry's generation and post Harry's children. Like, what, yeah, how is it going to be in the future? Yeah, are people really trying to divorce themselves from Voldemort and his methodologies and ideals, or is that sort of sentiment growing again because these things never really go away? Yeah, or even before Voldemort was a thing, like long after Salazar's died and in that intermediate period before Voldemort rose to power, like I just like to see what Slytherin House was like before then. Was it just another house at Hogwarts or did it still have these associations of dark wizards, dark wizards, dark wizards? Because as we know, on Pottermore or any Warner Brothers content, 
there's not a mention of Slytherin without the phrase dark wizards <laughs> being used in the same breath. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, we should acknowledge that there is a reason for that. And it's the reason isn't entirely Voldemort. The traits of Slytherin house, in my opinion, are the traits that lend themselves most keenly to villainy. These idea of tradition and family and only putting yourself first and preservation of the things that matter to you. And also ambition and cunning and all that sort of stuff. Those lend towards, like, villains. Those, the idealization of those traits is what leads to a culture where people like Voldemort can gain power. Mm, see, I just think that in themselves, those traits aren't necessarily more leaning towards good or bad. They're just sort of neutral traits and that, like, you can take the traits from any of the houses. Hufflepuff, loyalty and hardworking. Like, if you're, you're really cherry-picking... Like, because not all the Slytherin traits are being mm. incorporated into villainy, just like some of the dominant ones are. But you could take, you know, loyalty and hardworking, and that's an excellent villain. Like, they could be really loyal to an ideal, and they could be really hardworking to pursue that evil ideal. Same with Gryffindors, you know, they're, like, strong-headed, brave yeah. people. It's brave, like, obviously it's not brave to be a villain, but it takes a lot of bravery to take risks and to do things that you think are right that aren't necessarily right. Same with Ravenclaws, you know, how many fucking comic book villains are doctors? Because they're all intelligent. <laughs> yeah. Eccentric intelligence. Doctor Evil and Doctor Doom and all these people. Yeah. Creative problem solving. <laughs> like, all the traits are neutral. Yeah. It just, it's not our ability to show who we truly are, it's our choices, as Dumbledore said. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I... I agree on on one level. I agree that any of the houses can produce villains. The fact that we don't see it in the books is just, like, that's just because that's what the books are trying to do. Any of the houses can produce villains. Any of the houses can produce heroes. And most of the traits are completely neutral. Mm. But I think if you were going to take a collection of traits which would attract people who are more inclined towards villainy, the Slytherin traits stand out from all the other houses. Mm. And I think as a Slytherin... Part of, like, the responsibility of being a Slytherin who is a real person and not a fictional character in a story who's designed to make a point is you have to be like, some of these personality traits really lend themselves towards bad behavior and I need to be aware of that and I need to be responsible for my own actions and for my role in society as a person. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, that's me. I'm very self-reflective about these sorts of parts of myself. So we've sort of discussed how Slytherins are represented, but should we just go into more practical things of how Slytherins are represented in the books? Like, I hate it. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. I, I understand it's, you know, black and white storytelling trying to tell a narrative, good and evil, but I think that it's a, a bit of a wasted opportunity. And I've talked about this with you before, but I had a theory when mm -hmm. I was first hearing the books that there's you know, because there's a scene in the first book where Harry talks to the boa constrictor from Brazil in the zoo. It's a snake. Hooray. And this is a snake that yeah. has been in captivity its whole life. And uh, people misunderstand it all the time. And um, Harry says, it must be so annoying having people pressing in their ugly faces on you and bothering you all the time. And then he communicates with the snake. He gets a bit of empathy for it and sets it free. And this snake is like, bye, amigo. And so I've always had this idea yes. that that was kind of like a bit of a mini allegory for how Slytherin House was going to turn out, where a lot of the children of Slytherin House- Foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. A lot of the children of Slytherin House have been in captivity their whole lives. They've been in one set of ideas, the Death Eater ideology, 
And that's, they're kind of trapped in that way because that's what their family does. They can't go against their family. And, but then with a bit of empathy and understanding and communication, you know, they can be set free and go their own path, <laughs> but that's not what we got. <laughs> oh, we were robbed. That's such a good, that's so good if that had been it. And like the fact that Harry's a parcel tongue and he's got all these Slytherin traits and he's got this unique insight into Voldemort's mind and his workings. If he'd been the one to like set Slytherin house free. Yeah. God, that would have been so good. No. Like storytelling wise. Oh, I feel robbed every time I think about it. And it's still the message of Harry Potter. It's that love and empathy overcomes evil. And, you know, it's still that message and it's stronger. But we were robbed. I just, another thing, like every time and it's- a Slytherin is mentioned in the books, they're all unattractive for some reason. They're all described unfavorably. Like yeah. they're described as looking troll-like or looking like the bad end of a dog or all this sort of stuff. Like there's no sort of mm. nice looking Slytherin. Pansy Parkinson has a pug face. Narcissa Malfoy looks like she's just smelled something bad. That's her constant expression. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, Malfoy's pale and pointy <laughs> and like a ferret. Yeah. It's, it's like there's no one that just sort of looks normal, like in terms of physicality or the way that their expression is because like they're just a sort of well-meaning person. That's never the case. Whenever any sort of Slytherin mm. described, it's always in unfavorable light. Snape's greasy and gross. Greasy and gross. And he is like, that's who he is. I never understood Crab and Goyle. Why are they Slytherins? Because they're not like cunning. Yeah. They're not really clever. They're not ambitious. Are they? They're just goons. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would make more sense for them to be Gryffindors because they're like, you know, it takes, obviously it's not brave in a moral sense to fight someone, but it is brave to like put your life on the line in terms of fighting someone physically, which well, they do a lot. Well, maybe it's, they're like, just- It's like reckless. Mm. No. <laughs> maybe they're just more associated with the other Slytherin traits. What about like uh, determination, self-preservation, fraternity? So they're more like- Yeah, yeah. We're big yeah. and strong and we are closely affiliated with people who are small and pointy and weak. And it's part of our job to like, <laughs> you know, hang around and be the muscle. Yeah. And I guess like, it's like we said with Peter Pettigrew, it's about the sort of values that you have and what you want to be like as well. I assume because they come from Slytherin stock yeah. and Deathly stock, they want to be like a Slytherin and they want to be powerful. Yeah, I think so. so. Yeah. It's just things like that. And the fact is that, like, these sort of paradigms about Slytherin House aren't just in the books and the movies. They're also by the creators. Like, I have this receipt, which is a tweet yeah. saved on my phone, from J.K. Rowling. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to talk about J.K. That. Rowling, uh, at 20 past 9 p.m. on the 8th of May, 2015, <laughs> she was responding to someone on Twitter, and she said, not all Slytherins think they're racially superior, but all those who do are Slytherins. I hate this so much. <gasps> it's just... Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Not all Slytherins are racist, but yeah. all racists are Slytherins. Yeah, awesome. It's... Good. Thanks. That was good, JK. I understand this is a fictional story, but the fact that because these houses, these schoolhouses are based on personality traits and they're things that fans of the story connect to on like a personal level. It's like, oh, I see myself in this house. Saying things like that is really like shit. <laughs> For little kids that are like, oh, I'm in Slytherin. And I guess all Slytherins, all racists are Slytherins. That's Yeah, fucked. it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. And it sucks, especially if you're like in, in the real world, if you're like a serious black type person where you come from a really shitty family with really shitty values, but you are not a shit person and you've worked hard to not be a shit person, but you're still a Slytherin. 
I know Sirius isn't a Slytherin, but imagine if he was. Yeah. That super sucks to hear. Like, I've heard people like on Tumblr and the Harry Potter fandom who are like, it sucks that all the Slytherins had to be locked in the dungeon in the Battle of Hogwarts. Like, that just sucks on its own. But because if I was, like, the child of Death Eaters, I would absolutely want a chance to go fight them. Like, I wish I could fight my actual parents in real life. And it don't deprive me of that unidentified boy in the Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is for you. It's it's also just so frustrating because, like you said, the the message of the Harry Potter series is love and unity and all that sort of stuff. And all throughout the series, the Sorting Hat is constantly like, the houses must unite and work together. We're only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided. Yeah. But it never happens. Slytherin House never unites with the rest of the school. Like, so what was that foreshadowing? Where's the payoff for that? That always frustrated me. Yeah, it's deeply frustrating. Let us fight! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just the little things, like when Harry shows up in the room requirement in seventh book and it's got all all the house banners except Slytherin, because no Slytherin decided to run away from the torturous Carrows and their horrible, horrible regime in Hogwarts. There was not a single Slytherin. It's just, I have to laugh because it's not true. It's bullshit. (laughs) It's not true. I just, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. The house that is focused on self-preservation, that not one person thought, I'm out of here and I'm going to go in hiding because I don't want to be tortured. Yeah. This is fucked. I'm leaving. (laughs) I have to laugh. Like, (laughs) it's just, yeah, I feel like we've sort of, yeah, I've ranted about this in public before. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's so frustrating and it's just, it hurts. It does because like, you know. Slytherins are just people that have big dreams and ambitions and work hard to get them. They're not necessarily fucking Nazis. <laughs> like, There's a big Jesus. difference between being like cunning and manipulative and having those sort of more negative traits, I would say, and being Voldemort <laughs> or a Death Eater. Yeah. And the fact that the people who are put forward as like the good Slytherins, it's always Snape. <laughs> and it's like, Snape! Oh! I hate him (laughs) he is an incel and we know it (laughs) (sighs) yes Uh, the fact that he's always held up as like a good Slytherin no No. he sucks there's so many better Slytherins Merlin's a good Slytherin and I love that like in the Hogwarts mystery game they're putting in an effort to put in more good Slytherins that's why we have complex good characters like uh, Marula and Barnaby and Liz Tuttle and Ismelda. Like, Marula and Ismelda are, mm-hmm. you know, bad guys, but you find that they're, you know, they've got sensitivities. They're, they're good people underneath all the, like, snark. Yeah. And for me, the big difference between someone like Marula and Ismelda and, and Draco and Pansy and Crab and Goyle and all those people, why I can be so forgiving of them is that they're children. Yeah, they're children. Like, children do awful things. I did awful things in high school. I was terrible. I had awful opinions. Mm. And then I fucking grew up and I (laughs) stopped being awful. Yes. I'm far more willing to be lenient and forgiving and give them more and more chances than I am with characters like Snape or Lucius or any of the fucking adult Death Eaters. Like, grow up. Stop acting like this. This is bad behavior. And you should know it because you're an adult. (laughs) Absolutely. That's just my own personal rant on that. (laughs) I think... You know, our listeners have an idea of how we feel about how Slytherins are represented. What I am glad of is that 
outside of the books and the movies. Slytherin House, in terms of the fandom, like, I don't think that it gets much flack from other fans, unless they're, like, sort of, you know, yeah. fans that haven't really read the books or have only seen a few of the movies and kind of like Harry Potter as a phenomenon and haven't really, like, thought about it too much. You know, fans are, like, dedicated fans and like the series consistently. Mm-hmm. Like, they realize that Slytherin House is just a cool house of people that like to be ambitious, and definitely fans don't have this idea of all Slytherins are evil and all Gryffindors are good. <laughs> It's often the other way around. I've found it's a weird <laughs> shift where Gryffindor's been really put under flack lately. Yeah. And I don't think they deserve it. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll get into that in the Gryffindor episode. But, yeah. um, <laughs> We're all just lashing out because <laughs> we liked Gryffindor yeah. so much as children and now we've grown up. We're like, hey, actually. Yeah, the idea that a lot of basic fans have that like, oh, everyone shits on Hufflepuff and Slytherin. It's like, that's really not the case. They're like the most celebrated houses now in terms of the fandom. Yeah. Uh, so many Hufflepuff and Slytherin friendships as well. We'll get more into that in our Hufflepuff episode too. Oh, uh, yeah. When one of my closest friends will be coming on. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so last time we talked about like, what's it like to have a Ravenclaw friend, lover, enemy. Do we want to get into that stuff as well? I've got some pros and cons first about Slytherins. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Pros and cons. I forgot about this part. This episode's going to be long. Yeah. It's fine. We're passionate. Now, a lot of these pros and cons are like indicative of the fact that Slytherin is a house of duality, light and dark. So you'll find an interesting trend here. So pros, Slytherins are ambitious. Cons, Slytherins are ambitious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, ambition can be good or it can be bad. It can cause you to do great things or it can cause you to lash out. Voldemort was ambitious. <laughs> yeah, but so was like great people like Eleanor Roosevelt. She was ambitious. Yeah. And she wrote the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and was a bicon. And I love her. Anyway. Yeah, good. <laughs> Queen. Slytherins are social climbers. That's a pro. And a con, they're also social climbers. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it can yeah. be great when people are excellent at reading a room and uh, networking and working their way up and getting a good sort of reputation and popularity. That can also have downsides because it can be associated with, like, cutting people off and screwing people over and being sneaky and manipulative and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So a pro is that Slytherins are protective of their family. A con is that they can be emotionally unavailable or emotionally distant. Pro, mm-hmm. clever. Con, judgmental. But yeah, I will say judgment can come in handy sometimes. Judgment has kept me alive in some circumstances <laughs> where I've been like, this is jifty yeah. and I left. <laughs> mm. Or this person has bad vibes. Sometimes you need to be critical of the people around you and the way that they're behaving. Mm-hmm. That can be like a good thing in terms of self-preservation and also in terms of not surrounding yourself with people that you don't really need in your life. And are kind of shit. Like, even if they're not evil, yeah. if they're just kind of shit, like, you don't need that. Like- <laughs> yeah. You don't need to spend time with people whose opinions are bad and who make you feel frustrated or annoyed when you're talking to them. Yeah. They don't have to be evil. Sometimes people are just annoying and you can just get rid of them. <laughs> just cut them out. You just don't need Goodbye. that. Self-care. Yeah. But yeah, judgment can be a bad thing sometimes. Like sometimes you can judge people too early and you don't get to know them and all this. Yeah. Not giving them a chance. Pros. Slytherins are confident. Cons. They're arrogant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Besides oh, God, the cons. So arrogant. Oh, me too, honey. Jesus. Pros. (laughs) They are motivated. Cons. They can be spiteful or petty. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. (laughs) I have done things out of spite that are just ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Your whole... the uh, Listeners, go back and listen to the Squibs (laughs) episode 
Jem's insane nightmare thing that she was doing, 100% motivated out of spite. All of that was coming from spite. I mean, sometimes it can be good for, for a good cause, like in that example. Other times it's just yeah. me trying to get mine and it's spiteful. And that's happened a lot. Yeah, I've done things to screw people over because I wanted to hurt them. And that was because of spite. Yeah, We'll get into that in terms of what's it like to have a Slytherin enemy. <laughs> oh, yes. So I have, as a pro, Slytherins are very self-reflective. I think we've talked about this a lot in terms of yeah. we are constantly trying to check ourselves because we know that we can do bad things if we don't keep ourselves under check so we are very self reflective <laughs> because we know that we might wreck ourselves <laughs> <laughs> yes cons though slytherins are very self-depreciative we've seen that in this episode too listeners <laughs> we are willing to yeah. destroy ourselves verbally all of this episode is an example <laughs> pros witty cons cruel pretty self-explanatory yeah if we don't keep our wit in check we can offend people i've yeah i've been called out for that a lot uh, pros, resilient, and cons, they can be overly sensitive. I mean, I put this as kind of a pro too. It's a really a, a middle sort of thing where like, mm. I think obviously it's great to have sensitivity and be emotionally vulnerable, but sometimes being emotionally vulnerable can cause you to lash out and hurt others. So you just got to find the balance. Yeah. It's all about the balance. Getting defensive and yeah. not willing to take criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pros, they make great leaders, and cons, they're cunning. I mean, cunning, I think, can be used for good reasons, but, you know, it's usually always associated with being shifty. I think a better uh, con there, so, like, pro, make great leaders, con, can make terrible followers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hate being told what to do, Mm. even in situations where it's necessary. Every single time I've gone to, like, I've started a new job and I needed to be trained in that job, the first few days... I just get so angry and upset and I have to bite down on it because I'm being told what to do and it's infuriating to me, even though I don't know what to do and I need to be told what to do because I'm starting a new job. But it's terrible. I The number of fights I got into with dad when he was teaching me how to drive, I didn't know how to drive. He had to tell me, but I hated it. Yeah, I'm not like that to an extreme. I just, when I know that I'm right in something, I hate being told what to do. Or if I know a better way to do it, I hate being told what to do. Yes. When my way's better and someone's trying to tell me to use the worst way. Oh. Yeah. Oh, infuriating. (laughs) Uh, Pros, Slytherins are very prepared and cons, they're selfish. Yeah. Pretty Mm self-explanatory. I have a few controversial opinions before we get into like Slytherins as friends and stuff. Okay. I think that Dumbledore is a Slytherin, and we've brought this up before, but it's clear. (laughs) He's a Slytherin. Yeah. But I'd like to know more about Dumbledore when he was younger, because I really think everything that happened with Grindelwald caused a huge personality shift for him. And I want to know more about Mm. what he was like before, because like, he's very Slytherin in his later years but was he really Gryffindor before he started and then he became cynical after everything with Grindelwald happened and let his more Slytherin side out or was he always Slytherin and he went into Gryffindor on purpose yeah that's what I think I don't know I think that he was always like he's definitely like a Harry type but I think that he's definitely more leaning towards Slytherin because he's always so talented he's always Mm. the best at everything He's always, in his youth, like all the stuff with Grindelwald, obviously we don't see much of him before Grindelwald, but Aberforth paints a picture of, you know, Albus always putting his work and his life before that of his family because he was so focused on being great. Yeah. So that to me just really, I just thought he was Slytherin. That ambition. Like he's not necessarily a bad Slytherin, 
he's just a Slytherin. <laughs> like, he's just, he does shifty things. Mm-hmm. He does morally gray things because yeah. he thinks it will be the best and it works out in the end and it does work out in the end. For the greater good. He's definitely, he does terrible things for the greater good. See our episode, Did Harry Really Have to Be Raised by the Dursleys? But yeah, he's definitely ambitious. He's definitely cunning. He loves praise. He loves praise. He gets off on it. Like, he loves it when people think that he's brilliant and witty and, like, all this sort of stuff. Even though he acts humble, he's he's not. Mm. He's Kanye West humble. Yeah. But, like, this is what I was saying, like, I lived for all of that stuff in high school, but it's still a part of me now as an adult. Yes. I think he's, like, he's a grown man. Like, (laughs) as a child, Aberforth said that he was, you know, sending letters to people and making friends with Nicholas Flamel, and he was definitely looking for that praise and that recognition. But once you get to a certain stage, you're like, you know, I'm secure in who I am and what I've achieved, and I don't constantly need that recognition from everyone, but it still feels so good when you get it. Oh, it's juicy. But yeah, anyway, that's just my personal opinion on Dumbledore. We can probably get into this more later. Other things I think about Slytherin, I love the common room. I think people mistake it as being all dank and gross, but honestly, I think it's just nice and dark. It'd be nice and cool down there. No way it would be damp. There's spells for that. But you can always see, like, the cool, like, nice greens and blues of the lake, like, reflecting into the common room. And I think, like, you'd see creatures sometimes, and that'd be really sick. But I hate hate the house ghost. I hate that of all the house fucking, of all the ghosts at Hogwarts they could have picked, they're like, let's choose the murderer who's covered in blood and shackled and is creepy as fuck to be Slytherin's house ghost. I hate that. Yeah. He chooses to have chains. He didn't die in chains. He's manifested them as a symbol of his own guilt. This is a good guy to have around the children. God, it's fucked. Like, hate the house ghost. Don't like the bloody Baron. Everything about him sucks. Don't murder people you're in love with. Can't just get one break, can we? Like, Jesus. Anyway, um... <laughs> no. But the the common room? Love it. I wish that my windows looked out into a lake full of water. Yes. That would keep all that pesky sunlight out of my house. Under the sea. Excellent. <laughs> Also, some cool, um, like, headcanons that I've seen about the Slytherin common room. First of all is that all of the, like, dampness and the dankness is actually a protective enchantment illusion thing. So that if anyone who isn't a Slytherin enters the Slytherin common room for any reason, they'll see, like, a gross, dark version of it. Yeah, I like that. And actually, there's a really cool common room underneath. I like that, but I don't think it's true because Harry, when he gets captured by Death Eaters or Snatchers in the seventh book, is like, yeah, I'm a Slytherin. This is what the common room's like. And they just believe him. So I don't think that's true, but it's a cool idea. Yeah. The other really cool one is what if the mermaids always come up to the windows and Slytherins learn how to talk to them with sign language and they just have cool mermaid friends in their common room. I think that's sick and I love it. The only downside to the uh, Slytherin common room is that one of the passwords, the the only password that we see, is that it's a slur. (laughs) So that sucks. Well, it's not a slur. Pure blood isn't a slur. It's just a word that describes, like, blood lineage. Mm. Mud blood would be a slur. But yeah, it's not, it doesn't bode well for the Slytherin passwords that that's the only one that we see. I like to think that after the war, the, the passwords change to things like redemption. Yeah. So what's it like to have a Slytherin as a friend? Yeah. What do you think of this? We've talked about this. I don't have a lot of friends, but the ones that I do are ride and die friends. I'd do anything for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd do anything for these people. Anything. Like, I would c- 
cut a bitch to protect my friends. <laughs> I will protect them at all costs. I've like I ask my friends, my two closest friends in the world, what they think of having me as a friend. Like, what kind of friend are, am I? And um, I actually got some written responses, so I'll read them out. So the first one is determined and ambitious. <laughs> when there is something looming ahead for a Slytherin friend, such as assignments, events, competitions, or exams, they will often close off and become distant or short or even cold. Winning and achieving their goals are important, and they will remove all unnecessary interactions and socializing that may impede their effort. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> there's two. There's two gems. There's a regular gem and exam gem. And exam gem, she likes you, but she just she doesn't have time for you right now. Like <laughs> she's too busy. Slytherin <laughs> friends are very opinionated and are ready to argue if you disagree. They're protective of those important to them. Judgmental with big arguments behind their judgments. They're passionate. Precise and to the point, no time for unnecessary details. Very self-righteous, they know that they're the best. Believe their friends are the greatest and want what's best for them. And honest but not transparent, they will tell you if you ask. That's what I got from my friends. And then another of my friends said that I'm an ultimate hype woman, apparently. Uh, <laughs> because that probably goes into the supporting your friends in every aspect and always hyping them up and believing that they're <laughs> the best. That's good. I wish I would have thought to contact my friends and ask them their opinion, but I didn't. <laughs> So we'll just have to take your friend's words. As an example for like how ride or die I think a lot of Slytherins are in terms of protecting their friends, um, I recently went to like a Yule Ball with my university with one of my really close friends, and we were both wearing amazing dresses, yeah. both wearing really beautiful dresses, but my friend had a dress that was a little bit loose around the bust area, and to put it in layman's terms, she was worried that she might pop a titty. <laughs> and I said... <laughs> to be delicate about it. <laughs> and I said, like, instantly, like pure conviction that if she popped a titty throughout the night in solidarity i would pull out my own so that she wouldn't be alone in that <laughs> i will do anything to protect my friends <laughs> i would have 100 percent done it if it came up but it didn't come up so <laughs> for me like that's a big difference between like a slither and say like a ravenclaw friend because i feel like a ravenclaw friend would have been like we could take care of this with some safety pins <laughs> But a Slytherin friend, no. Like if she acts, this isn't a problem we need to. Solve. Like if she accidentally popped a titty and was like, "Oh my god," tried to cover it up in order to distract anyone that saw it, I would scream and pull out my own, like <laughs> <laughs> draw attention away from her. It's okay. Fantastic. Protect. <laughs> That's great, and I love it. And you guys have the best friendship. This is a uh, Hufflepuff Slytherin friendship. The dynamics. Mm. So, what are Slytherins like as? Lovers. Do you reckon you've ever dated a Slytherin? No. <laughs> dumbasses all around. Oh, actually. Oh. Yeah, dumbasses all around. No, no, I've never dated a Slytherin. I've never dated anyone with ambition. <laughs> oh, God. I love this part of the episode where I just drag my lovers. They're all stupid and unambitious. More of a drag on me. I asked Josh, who was the guest on our last episode, what it's like to date me, who's a Slytherin. And he said this. Slytherin is confident in every regard. They know what they want. And if they don't, they'll fake it with poison style. <laughs> this also applies to humor and jokes. Methodical about work and work-related goals. Everything must be prepared, completed, and finished about before a new working goal can begin. Multitasking is a skill that Slytherins possess, but secondary or tertiary tasks will be delegated to a later date or forgotten if not in service to the main task or goal. Lots, about, lots of stuff about achievement and ambition in every aspect of relationships. Yeah. They are... Dedicated to crafting an image, not being fake, but rather representing a confident, mysterious figure to the world, i.e. walk into a room and turn heads, then leave to never reappear again. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
Josh is great. They're passionate and charming, hysterically dry-witted, hilariously hard to read for most people, but once you know Jem or love her like me, you can understand her quite easily. This can also be funny because you can either predict what she wants from a situation or finish her sentence thought and just enjoy her smile. He's too cute. Like, he needs to stop. Aww. <laughs> what a good boy. And then he said, Slytherin love is true love, pure, intense, and beautiful. To love a Slytherin is to fall in love with ambition personified. You have to love and respect their work and passions as much as your own. Your lives are shared and to be ready to move up and beyond together. He's, he's adorable. Oh, what a good boy. I know. Also, that's great. <laughs> what I've written about what it's like to have a Slytherin lover, I had to project onto myself. Like, what, what would I be like in a relationship? <laughs> because I don't know. Just more of like... The same sort of things that I said about friendships and relationships before. Mm. I'm extremely cautious about entering into a relationship. Mm. I want to go really slowly, not necessarily like physically, (laughs) not to get too detailed, (laughs) but I want to go really slow. Emotionally. Emotionally, because once I'm in, I'm I'm all in forever. That was me. So every time when when I've been in a relationship before, the other person has been like, okay, we're dating now and that means that we're in love. And I'm like, what are you talking about? No, we're dating because I'm trying to figure out if you're someone who's like someone that I want to be in love with. We're dating to figure out if we're compatible and if this is an actual relationship that works, not because we're in love. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. The, yeah, like the relationship stuff, the dating, like the first few dates, the first few months even of dating is not being in a relationship being in a relationship comes later and dating is the prelude to it where you figure stuff out that was definitely me in the in the beginning of sense? my yeah. like current relationship i was very cautious very hesitant god bless josh honestly he was so patient and like willing to like <laughs> you know accept all my bullshit <laughs> um like i think there was an instance where we were having a phone call i was overseas <laughs> and uh we were talking about how like my family has a huge halloween party and this was probably like, I don't know, March or something like that. And he's like, oh, you know, we could go together as like in a couple's costume. And I said, mm. bluntly, if we're still together at that point, which is a terrible thing to say. <laughs> but he, he got so like, he was like, oh, yeah. oh, you don't think, I'm like, I hope we will. Like, I really like you. Just, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. That's the kind of like conversation that you have with a Slytherin partner. <laughs> they are so blunt about the expectations in the relationship. But be patient with them. And that is ice cold as well. (laughs) That's so cold. I know. I felt so bad. I apologize. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. It's just how I feel. Like, I really like you and I hope it works out. And I really want it to work out. And I'm going to try and keep working at it. But I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Who knows what's going to come up. Like. No, I get it. That coldness, like you said, it comes from self-preservation. It's because you don't want to get too attached too early. Yes. So, but yeah, coming from the other side, it's like, oh yeah, if we're still together, like (laughs) that's such a rude thing. It's so rude. Another thing that I think is very important in like romantic relationships is trust. Oh yeah. I see so many things of like, you know, I'm going to go through my partner's phone or I don't trust them to be alone with this person. Or like, Mm. if you don't trust your partner, why are you with them? I would never be with someone that I don't trust. Ever. Like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> just just leave them. Break up with them. If you don't trust someone, you shouldn't be in a relationship. But also... Dump him. <laughs> yeah, just let him go. Like, that's part of the... For me, that's part of the... You have the beginning period of the relationship where you're not really, like, that emotionally invested. Because if they... 
If they demonstrate that they're not trustworthy, you just drop that person and you move on. Yep. <laughs> That's how relationships are. Yep. But yeah, definitely if that trust is compromised, the relationship's over. So just in movies and TV shows and stuff, when people realize they're being cheated on and then they're like, what do I do now? There's no thinking. There's no, what do I do? You leave that person. Mm. But you're done. Mm. Once Once they've broken that trust... You're out. <laughs> the relationship's over. It's ended. They ended it with their actions. Yeah, that's it for me. Like, I'm the same in that as well. I totally understand, like, well, I don't understand it, but I can see how other people might be like, there's a chance for reconciliation. We can fix this. And I understand it's complicated when it's like a marriage and there's children involved or whatever it is. But for me, I wouldn't be able to. Yeah. No, I cannot move on from a complete betrayal of trust like that. Because if you can't trust them with something as simple as mm. maintaining a relationship, with one person as you decided, then no, I cannot trust you with anything else. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. How can you trust someone to, like, take care of you and be with you and support you if you can't trust them to not sleep with other people, assuming that's part of the conditions of your relationship? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Should we talk about what Slytherins are like as enemies? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They, ha- they are so multifaceted there's so many different types of slytherin enemies mm-hmm. things i wrote down slytherins have a quiet rage yes and it depends on your threat level as an enemy so if the person that so say i'm a slytherin and the person that is my enemy is kind of dumb then my actions against that person aren't going to be like too excessive they're just going to sort of be like i'm just going to if that person's kind of stupid and I don't like them for whatever reason, and they're my enemy, I'm not going to actively try and do anything to harm them. But if they were ever to catch fire in front of me and I had water in my hand, I would take a fucking sip. <laughs> That's the sort of anger I have. <laughs> like, it's not worth my actions. It's passive anger. Yeah. <laughs> passive aggression. Passive aggressiveness is such a Slytherin trait. Or the living the better life strategy, where it's like you have an enemy and it's like, yeah. I'm going to rise above and be so much better than them at everything that I do. That's a good strategy as well. Okay. That's not quite the living a better life strategy because the way you just said that was like as if you were going to rub it in their face. Yeah, spite. Yeah, because the just live your best life sort of strategy is like don't care about what other people are thinking or doing and just focus on yourself and focus on self-improvement and blah, blah, blah. Not achieve something that they want or you want and then <laughs> rub it in their face, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so living a better life than they are is, I guess, the way to put it. <laughs> yeah, that's what you mean. But if the enemy in question is a threat, so the Slytherin sees them as like someone that is actually threatening, then uh, they will use psychological warfare to tear them down piece by piece. And I think a great example of this is yes, like in Mean Girls when Janice Ian comes up with the plan to take down Regina's throne piece by piece, that's very Slytherin. (laughs) Yes. Oh, psychological warfare. That's what I was looking for when I was writing down what I'm like as an enemy. I couldn't figure out the word for it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But what I wrote was figure out exactly what someone wants and do anything to make sure they don't get it. Yes. I've done that to a person before. It's super satisfying. Um. Yeah, I'll tell this story. So this is going to paint me in a very bad light because I'm not going to go into all the details. But basically, I used to work with someone who I hated. I 
hated her and she loved me for some reason. She got it into her head that she was my mother and I was her daughter. Not literally, but yeah. she would constantly talk to me as if I was her child and try to do that like guilt trip thing that mothers do where they're like, why don't you call me? But like for a coworker. <laughs> And I was infuriated by this because I'm like, there's no emotional connection here. We just work in the same place. I don't owe you anything and you don't need to be like oh, dear. protective of me. So what I did was I knew that what she wanted more than anything out of our relationship was for me to just love her and be her friend. And I gave her nothing. Oh. I was so cold. I would walk away from her mid-sentence. I would refuse to make eye contact when she was talking to me. That's psychological warfare. <laughs> yeah, I've done things like that. That's before. driving her away. I've done things like, this is a super embarrassing story. So listeners, feel privileged that I'm willing to share this with you as a good example of what kind of psychological warfare I'm attributed to. So when I was in high school, mm -hmm. there was a boy in my class who I was sort of like on medium terms with. He was like a, a guy that I knew. and he labeled a part of my body, my boobs, he gave them a nickname. And so he used this nickname to sexually objectify me to all the other boys in my year and to like refer to me in front of my face by this nickname. And I wouldn't know what he meant until one of the girls in my class explained. And I was very furious. Yeah, I remember this. So the nickname rightly uh, was, it was Homus for whatever fucking reason. I have no idea. And so what I did was I decided to get back at him. I showed up to school in a sweater with a container of hummus under my sweater. And I went and sat with him and his friends. And I was sitting with one of my friends and we staged a scenario where we were talking about this great uh, Greek restaurant that my family and I went to last night and how I ate like all this amazing lamb. And I had some amazing hummus that tasted so great. And I was like acting like I was completely oblivious, even though all the boys were laughing and making fun of me for being so oblivious. And then I mm -hmm. was like, I could really go for some hummus right now. I turned to the boy and I asked him if he'd like some. And he was like, like turning red. And I pulled the jar of hummus out from under my sweater and offered it to him and just dropped it in the middle of the circle and got up <laughs> and walked away. That is psychological warfare to a T. <laughs> yes. He apologized and I accepted the apology, but not really. I never forgot yeah. and I never forgave. <laughs> I thought this was going to be the story of what was it? You decided very, very early on in your high school career, you decided that you wanted something. It was like a scholarship or it was the school captaincy mm -hmm. or something to do with that. Yeah. And everyone knew it. Everyone in your grade knew it. Like, this is Jem's goal. This is what she's going for. And then it got to like the final year of high school and somebody else out of nowhere was like, I want that as well. And you destroyed him. I did. <laughs> I did do that as well. Was that the same boy as well? <laughs> it was the same boy. Yeah, good record. <laughs> what happened there? Tell, tell that story. That's basically the story. I, so I destroyed awesome. him. Because I'd had years of preparation in advance, I was already so far ahead in the running to win the scholarship before he could. And to get the, like, I did get, we both got vice captain because the school captains happened to be people that mm -hmm. had never tried and were just worried being out of popularity. But we both happened to yeah. be vice captains. So we both won in that score. And then I ended up winning the scholarship because I'm just better. <laughs> and that's how it went. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's right. So it was so it was a scholarship that you wanted and you figured out that you wanted this scholarship in maybe something like year seven or year eight and you worked for it. It was year six or 
primary primary school. school. Okay. <laughs> and you worked for it throughout your entire schooling career. Like you were on the school representative council. You were at every single Anzac Day march and doing all of the, like the, we don't have it school spirit in Australia, but doing all of the school spirit sort of stuff and being constantly, yeah, constantly working towards this thing in every single facet. And then you get to that final year of high school and what's his face, stupid boy was like, hmm, maybe I'm going to go for that scholarship as well. But because he was so many leagues behind you, like he was never even really in the running. Yeah. And it just so happened that he turned out to be an enemy too. So it was extra juicy. It was extra satisfying (laughs) (laughs) that I won and he didn't. (laughs) Yeah. But aside from psychological warfare, something that I think is so true of Slytherin enemies is pettiness. Pettiness. The pettiness. Yes. Fucking look at any single thing that Draco Malfoy ever does. (laughs) But especially the badges. When he makes badges. Oh my god. And gives them out to all the Slytherins to wear. The Potter Stinks badges and the Weasley Who's Our King badges. That is so petty and so childish and i live for stuff like that i'm I'm such a petty bitch so that's what a slytherin is like as an enemy basically my strategy strategy is that if you have oh another thing to mention slytherin enemies have a respect for a good scheme so if they deem you as like a worthy opponent and you do a cross against them they will be kind of impressed annoyed and turned on all at the same time so (laughs) (laughs) begrudging yeah begrudging acknowledgement that you earned it yeah and so the best thing to do is if you have a slytherin enemy apologize and like try and make them your friend it'll be a long and hard task yeah but you want a slytherin to not hate you because they will try to destroy you If, if they hate you enough they will just constantly go out of their way to ruin things for you and you don't want that Oh, social capital as well. Sorry, that was the other thing that oh. I always constantly use when I'm trying to destroy an enemy. Oh, yeah. Using social capital as a weapon. So always positioning myself as if I'm 100% in the right and I've never done anything wrong in my life ever. <laughs> I know this and I love it. And the other person's in the wrong. I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Slytherins are willing to exploit yeah. elements of their personality to make themselves seem innocent and in the right even if they know they're doing things that are shifty and wrong to destroy an enemy. Yeah, I've done that before. I've made someone lose their job by making them appear to be mentally unstable. Oh my god, I've never gone that far. Over a series of years. Holy crap! Also, like, she was mentally unstable. This was- I don't want to get too into this story because it's a long, complicated story. But for a long time, I was living in a building, and the building manager was- Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. The building manager was mentally unstable, and I'm not trying to be like, her mental illness made her bad- but she was she was paranoid, she was obsessive, she was actively trying to destroy me. She would, like, interfere with me every time I tried to enter or leave the building. She would go through my mail. She would let herself into my apartment when I wasn't there and go through my things. She would not let me get any work done. She would stop plumbers and electricians from trying to get into the building. She filled my parking space with garbage constantly so I couldn't get my car in or out. It was a whole- this went on for years. And what I did was I started a campaign against her, making her seem like she was, um, well, she was, showing accurately that she was mentally unstable, that she could not perform in her role, that she needed to be fired. And I spent years angling both myself and my father into a position where we could dispose of her. (laughs) And I did it. 
And it worked. And it worked. You literally, my father will hear about this and it worked. I literally, I'm so sorry if you hear this, dad, but I used emotional manipulation to get my dad put onto the, the owner's corporation. And I made it so that he was the head of the owner's corporation. <laughs> and then I got her fired. And this went on for like two or three years that I did it. You did it. So in conclusion, Slytherin enemies are dangerous. <laughs> you don't want to have one. Ruthless. They are, will do anything <laughs> to achieve their ends. So yeah. I think we should finish up with some famous examples of Slytherins in pop culture and in real life. And I've got a list here. Yes. Elle Woods, Legally Blonde, my favorite Slytherin of all time. Yes. She's so good. Edmund Pevensey from Narnia. Oh, yeah. Another good Slytherin. Uh, Cersei and Tyrion Lannister. Yep. Sansa Stark. Ah, uh, yes. Hal from Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom Haverford and Donna Meagle from Parks and Rec. Yes, I had Tom at the top of my list. I love that boy. Kevin McAllister. From Home Alone. Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, from Home Alone. <laughs> Loki, uh, Tony Stark, Natasha Romanoff. Ah, uh, I had Tony Stark as well. I, th- I thought you might try to argue with that because he's got a lot of Ravenclaw qualities. But yeah, I think Tony Stark's a Slytherin. Nice. Slytherin. Uh, Toph Bay Fong from Avatar Last Airbender. <laughs> yeah. Also from Avatar, we have Azula and Uncle Iroh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we said Uncle Iroh was a Slytherin last time. Lin-Manuel Miranda, he's a self-proclaimed Slytherin. He's not a fictional character. No, I said from pop culture and real life, famous people. Okay. <laughs> Miss Piggy. <laughs> yes, queen, I love her. Bert from Sesame Street. Peter Malark from The Hunger Games. Yes, I had Peter as well. Yeah, I, he's definitely a social climber. Mm-hmm. Billy Mack from Love Actually. So he's the Bill Nighy's character, the old rock star. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Palpatine from Star Wars. <laughs> Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons. Hannibal Lecter. Ah. Regina George. Yep. And Gretchen Wieners. Yep, Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> uh, Peter Baelish. Yes, I had Peter Baelish as Peter well. Peter Baelish or Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Theon Greyjoy from I had Game of Arya Thrones. Stark from Game of Thrones as well. Oh, she's a Gryffindor. Absolutely. No. She's got that list and she's fucking checking people off. Determination, that's a Gryffindor trait, as well as a Slytherin trait. But I think she's definitely more, I think she's more willing to act before she thinks, unlike Sansa. No, I don't think so. I think she's got that cunning and that ambition. Mm, I can see it either way. Two sides of the same coin. Mm. So I had Theon Greyjoy, and I also had, from the Hercules Disney movie, I had Megara and Hades. Yep. And my boyfriend added Walter White from Breaking Bad. I haven't seen Breaking Bad, so I don't know for sure. Yeah, I had Walter White from Breaking Bad as well. I think you've seen maybe the first season of Breaking Bad? Yeah. Yeah. He's a character who positions himself as if everything he's doing is for his family and completely selfless, but it's not. It's 100% about his his reputation and his status, and he's just an awful person. Anyway, at me with your opinions on Walter White, because I've got strong ones. You kind of went through everyone I had. Did you say Aladdin? I thought you did. Yeah, I said Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin from Aladdin. I also had, I think Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean was the only one I had that you didn't say. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, he's such a good leader. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, and he did the mutiny, ambition, yeah. crossing people off that list. Yes, I love it. The other thing that I wanted to say about Slytherin House, I guess... Or the way that I wanted to round out this episode, I didn't actually clear this with you, but I want to do a shout out to the Get Sorted podcast. Oh, yes. You good with that? Yeah. Yeah. So just what we've been doing in these last few episodes where we're sorting other fictional 
characters into the houses. That's what Get Sorted podcast does, and they are awesome, and I love them. Yeah. I've been listening to all of their episodes. I think I'm, like, halfway through season two at the moment. (laughs) They're fantastic. They're so funny, and it's so interesting looking at all these movies and shows and things through the lens of Harry Potter houses. It makes me want to go back and reinvest myself in media that I've moved on from years ago. So it's fun to listen to. Mm. And the reason why I did it in the Slytherin episode is because both the hosts are Slytherins. Yes. And us Slytherin ladies, we got to be out there advocating for each other. Go listen to their podcast. (laughs) Support them. Yes. Love it. Amazing. Is that everything? Yep, that's everything I want to say about Slytherin House. Except not really. I have a thousand opinions about Slytherin House and you'll continue to hear them as you listen to this podcast. Oh uh, yeah. Anyone who wants to talk to me about Slytherin, just at me. I will go off <laughs> about Slytherin House. So yeah. I have been Jem and I am a proud Slytherin. I have been Rhea and I am a petty Slytherin. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9andthreequarterspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Tumblr, Facebook and Instagram at Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. Or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMathRhea and Jem is at Jem underscore just Jem. Please feel free to send theories or ask questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the sea just to avoid them. We didn't have a special guest this week, but if you're looking for more cool Slytherin podcasters, you should check out Nora and Beth from the Get Sorted podcast. You can find them at getsortedcast.wordpress.com. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was The Slug Party by Nicholas Hooper, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.